0: Well, hello, folks. My name's JB, and this is Not By Works Ministries, and we are so excited to have you along for the podcast today. It's been a busy week for podcasts. I hope uh, we haven't overwhelmed you with all the different podcasts that have dropped. It was just kind of the perfect storm of various interviews, and many of which were done weeks ago, that all just sort of dropped at the same time from uh, the different uh, ministries, TV and radio, and so forth. So, uh, But I'm really excited about our regular weekly guest here today, uh, my uh, good friend. Randy who's going to be uh, sharing with us a kind of world events update like he usually does and um, you know we're just uh, we're just thankful that uh, he takes the time out of his busy schedule to not just for the hour that we spend with him each week but so that he can spend time each week hours on end in some cases as checking with his sources and researching to kind of give us a picture of what's happening all of this of course is for the purpose of Following the admonition of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who said that we should be able to recognize the signs of the times. So we're not here to instill fear or to set dates or to be sensational. We're simply here to. Uh, describe some of the things happening around the world and provide some commentary and insights on them through the lens of Scripture. So before we get started, I just want to mention, uh, be sure and go to our website, notbyworks.org, and check out all of the various podcasts. Most of them uh, that have uh, dropped in the last two or three days are in the highlight carousel uh, on the main page, or you can click under Uh, videos and podcasts there and see them. But we did one yesterday on the Christian Underground News Network that I thought was pretty interesting. It was entitled, Believers Should Be Awake, Not Woke. And as you know, I have the privilege of being on with uh, Curtis Chamberlain once a month right now. We're trying to increase that, but uh, between his schedule and mine, that's about all we can do. And I encourage you to check that one out. And then don't forget uh, to Uh, Harbinger's Daily just picked up our Prophecy Night video. I was really excited about that. You know, they often carry uh, some of my uh, devotionals and articles and link to some of the interviews that we do with groups like Prophecy Watchers and Olive Tree Ministries. But this was, uh, of course, our own uh, event uh, that we do on Tuesday nights, Prophecy Night with Not By Works Ministries. And they uh, they linked to that video. So uh, I think that's exciting. It'll get more exposure and in- introduce more people to some of the uh, ways that the stage is being set prophetically, as we talked about on that program. Uh, so I uh, also want to encourage you to come out this weekend to Plum Creek Chapel, if you're in the Denver Metro area, for our worship service and Bible study on Sunday. And that, of course, is live streamed like it is every week. So if you're not in the area or you can't make it, go to notbyworks.org and you can click the live stream there on Sunday morning. So I want to start before I bring Randy on, and, and, and the Lord put on my heart this morning Psalm 110. You know, Psalm 110 is a Davidic psalm, meaning it was written under the inspiration of the Spirit by King David, but it's very unique among the psalms because the New Testament contains more references to Psalm 110 than to any other chapter in the Old Testament. Uh, by my count, Psalm 33 quotations or partial quotations, allusions to Psalm 110. It's a very significant messianic psalm, and it's directly messianic. What do we mean by messianic? Messianic just means it's a Old Testament psalm that points to the coming of the Messiah, and so we call these messianic psalms. Some of them, such as Psalm 110, are called royal psalms, meaning they speak specifically of what we now know is the second coming of Christ, when he will take the throne. Um, But this is a a short psalm. I think it's, what, seven verses here. And uh, I just want to take a moment to kind of encourage you that even a thousand years before the birthday of our Savior, that first Christmas morning in Bethlehem, God's Word was reminding us that things will not always be the way they are, and that someday Christ will come back and throw off all of the enemies and defeat them so uh here's a david beginning in this psalm again it's purely messianic so he is under the inspiration of the spirit taking on the voice of uh you know the 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 holy spirit here and speaking of the future messiah and he says quote the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool so David is basically talking about a conversation that he overheard between Yahweh, the Lord, and if you if you look this up in a good English translation like the New King James or New American Standard, you'll notice that the first word Lord there is in all caps. The Lord, all caps, said to my Lord, capital L but lowercase O-R-D, sit at my right hand. So what he's talking about here is a conversation between Yahweh, which is always signified by all capital letters, L-O-R-D, and uh, that conversation is between Yahweh, the creator of the universe, and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is Adonai in in Hebrew. And so what's interesting, first of all, from a theological perspective, is this certainly is one of many passages that indicate that there are uh, two or three persons of the Trinity. So it's distinguishing here between God the Father and God the Son. But in the context, what we see happening is that, you know, David says, here's this conversation, and God is telling his son, hey, stay here until I make your enemies your footstool. In other words, the time is not right uh, for you to go back, you know, to go to the earth from our perspective. Now, looking back on this psalm, we know he's already come once. He came as the suffering servant, as Isaiah would later talk about, to pay the penalty for our sins. Then he rose from the dead, ascended, uh, you know, uh, 40 days later, and is now back in his seat. And the seat at the right hand, by the way, in Hebrew tradition is a, is a place of power and authority. And God said, you're going to sit here uh, until I have, you know, subjugated your enemies and, and, and until the time when you can rule over them. And uh, Jesus quoted verse 1 here many, many times in the New Testament. Uh, A lot of them are repetitions between the various gospel writers. But the Jews of of the first century, and and by the way, many people today as well, incorrectly believe that this verse was talking about David. But it's not talking about David. It's talking about uh, the Son of God, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, And when you look at the book of Hebrews, it's quite clear that this is what he's talking about. So the Lord said to my Lord, God said to Jesus, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Then he goes on, the Lord, again talking about Yahweh here, all caps, shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Uh, Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. What's he talking about there? Well, when Messiah comes back to rule over his enemies, his people will willingly join in. This is that great regathering of the Jews into the land in belief. Whereas the first time he came, they rejected him and didn't believe the gospel and crowned him with thorns. The next time they will be volunteers. They will volunteer to join in and uh, he will regather them into the land, uh, into the land. When he says uh, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, that's uh, talking about the early appearance um, d- during Messiah's reign, they're going to, early on from the day he comes back, you're going to see this massive army amount uh, mounting up, and at the beginning of the kingdom, it will be nothing but believers populating the earth and establishing the kingdom. Then we see in verse 4, again, the Lord, all caps, God, the, the Yahweh, has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. I mean, this is a fascinating uh, passage. In other words, God is saying, look, this will come to pass. You can count on it. I will not relent. My son, the King of kings and Lord of lords will come back and rule over uh, his enemies. Christ is a a priest forever in the manner of Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek was a priest and a king, and so too was Jesus. Melchizedek ruled over Salem, the ancient name for Jerusalem, where David also ruled, and uh, uh, Messiah is, of course, a king and a priest, just like Melchizedek was, and the writer of Hebrews kind of makes that comparison. But Yahweh sets up this Messiah, this Melchizedekian priest, forever, uh, and he is now the eternal high priest because he offered himself as the sacrificial lamb. And then in the final three verses of this psalm, God's word describes the power of this victory. It will be a massive victory. He says the the Lord is at your right hand. Talking about Jesus here. It's lowercase O R D L O R D. Uh, so Jesus is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of wrath. That phrase execute in Hebrew is literally break them in pieces. So when we go to Revelation 19 and we see Christ coming back at the end of the tribulation for the battle of Armageddon, he's got a sword proceeding out of his mouth. He's going to tread the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God. And so this is just a thousand years before Jesus was even born in the incarnation. We see uh, this reference to the coming day of judgment. By the way, I just posted an article late last night uh, at notbyworks.org, my weekly devotional, and it's called uh, The Approaching uh, Judgment, The Approaching Judgment. And I encourage you to read that because it it really talks about, uh, or The Approaching Storm. Sorry, I, I was working off memory there. We called it The Approaching Storm. A uh, short article, you can read it in two minutes, but it it talks about some of these same ideas that, you know, we tend to think a lot about the approaching storm that Randy and I are about to talk about—the all the evil that's in the world, the Luciferian's plan to take over the world, the, the collapse of the economy, the potential for war—we uh, think about that approaching storm. But when's the last time we stopped to think about the approaching storm of God's judgment, as we're reading about here in Psalm 110? So he will execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. You know, again, that word execute in Hebrew means break in pieces. Are you worried about the likes of uh, Putin, Medvedev, uh, you know, uh, the guy from Ukraine, Zelensky, uh, Xi over there in China? Uh, Are you worried about some of these global leaders like uh, Klaus Schwab? Well, never fear. Someday Christ is going to break them in pieces when he comes back. And uh, and then he closes out, he shall drink of the brook by the wayside, indicating a, a renewal of strength. And so it's, it's a word picture there that this same Lamb of God who was scourged and crucified and, and, and laid in a tomb, uh, defeated death, hell, and the grave. And when he comes back, he will be renewed in his strength. Uh, And this war that he's talking about waging here with his son that sits at his right hand, this is not a war in the heavenlies. There certainly is going to be a cosmic struggle in the heavenlies between the forces of evil and the forces of good, between the fallen angels and God's angels. But this battle is going to be fought on earth. He's going to come back. God says, sit here for a while until I make your enemies your footstool. And following that battle, when he comes back, Jesus Christ will reign and rule the earth for a thousand years prior to the new heavens and the new earth. So uh, I hope that encourages you. It certainly encourages uh, me uh, because I I wanted to kind of prepare the way uh, we get a lot of feedback. You know, Randy's time with us is one of our most popular podcasts every week, uh, and we get a lot of feedback from folks saying, oh, you know, woe is me. What in the world are we going to do? And and, uh, that's not our goal. Uh, Our goal is not to instill fear. Our goal is just to pass on information, do our best to speculate on how that might fit with the the narrative of Scripture, and to call people both to strengthen their faith and unbelievers to trust in Christ and be saved, and then call upon everyone to be prepared for what's coming. So Randy, I'm so excited to have you back. Uh, It's been a week, and uh, as usual, every week is chock full of interesting uh, developments. I'm hoping to get your perspective on this whole China balloon fiasco and see what you're hearing about that and anything else that you've got for us. So welcome. Welcome back this morning, Randy.
1: Well, thank you, sir. And good morning to everybody that's listening. Uh, We're going to start out on a little lighter note, and then we're going to get into the meat of things. I read yesterday that Bill Gates has a new girlfriend and a little bit more reading into it. Uh, supposedly, UPS is going to deliver her in March or April, and there'll be some assembly required.
0: <laughs> so, on. You, I did not see that one coming. Uh, Randy, <laughs> well, a little bit of levity this morning. All right. There you go. Everybody
1: needs a little wake-up call for what's coming next. <laughs> so, all right. right, I sent out an email the other day because we've talked about this on the podcast many times, about the currency situation, the banking situation, It's hitting the mainstream news and things are getting worse. Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase Bank, PNC, all of them are having problems with their ATMs, people making deposits where they're not depositing the actual amount, supposedly, that they put in. Uh, The ATMs are taking their cards, locking them out. Uh, Cash is not available. Um, You call customer service and it rings and it rings and it rings and nobody's there. What I'm afraid of, and there's no way to know yet because this is coming new every day, is we discuss the uh, nation of Cyprus a couple of times over the last few weeks. Now, back in 2013, they got into a financial crunch, much like the United States. Unfortunately, I think we're going the same way, but we'll know as time goes on. What happened there is they declared a bank holiday that lasted seven days. They looted these safety deposit boxes and took the money out of the accounts of everybody. When it now, was all over, go ahead.
0: Now I was just going to say, I want to, I want to back up to this—the reports that we're seeing of some of these uh, uh, shenanigans going on at the different banks. Because it's important for listeners to realize that uh, these type, this is exactly the way these types of things roll out. It's little pockets. You know, in selected regions with banks and so forth, which in and of themselves no one will hear about. But if you've got your finger on the pulse of what's happening, like Randy does, and like I try to, uh, and many others, we're not alone. Certainly, uh, they you, you begin to piece together uh, multiple examples of this. So we're not suggesting, and I assume you're not suggesting that all across the country, every bank right now is stealing your ATM card and 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 hoarding no. your money. But when you begin to see a ripples of it, it gets our attention because it makes us wonder if this is the beginning of a tidal wave. Is that is that a good way to describe it?
1: Exactly. You know, you always start out small. You test the waters, then you surge forward. And that's basically what may be happening. Like I said, we know the FDIC had their meeting last fall in which they stated we have $200 billion in assets to cover $9 trillion worth of deposits. So as the United States gets further in debt and there is no money left because of the debt ceiling crisis and everything, they're going to get much more uh, diabolical. They're going to get desperate. They're going to need that money to keep working, to keep their supplies, their arms, people working, etc. So what I'm telling the people that I send these emails to is be aware and be careful because it may come up very quickly and all of a sudden we have a bank holiday like we've described before. It may come up slowly. There's just no way to know. But understand, when you put your money in the bank, that money becomes the property of the bank. It is no longer your property. So if you've got money in the bank and they go bankrupt, they go insolvent, whatever, you become an unsecured creditor. You have absolutely no rights Except to try to sue them for your money and get it along, get in line with everybody else because there's going to be a line 100 miles long. So just be careful, protect yourself because we're in a time of changes and troubles and situations that are rising faster than I can keep track of. Yeah. And so make sure and, and, you're with a good institution. Make sure you have your cash on hand. Make sure you can live without your bank for a matter of time. Now, we don't know if that'll be a day. We don't know if that'll be six months.
0: I don't know. But right. And I'd be
1: remiss and not telling people that this is getting more serious all the time.
0: No question. And, and let me interject that, you know, Randy's not a financial advisor. I'm not a financial advisor. You have to make your own choices, but we're just trying to give you information to help you do that. Uh, for my part, uh, again, speaking just as a uh, layman on this field. I don't understand why anybody would overextend themselves in any kind of banking institution today, whether it's a credit union, a bank, an investment portfolio, because there's almost n- next to no interest. So you're not getting any upside. And even in investments, the the, the because of the the performance recently, uh, you know, the investment is not that huge. and and the risk, especially at such a volatile time as this, is so great. So, you know, I encourage folks, again, just my, you know, layman's advice to, you know, to only keep as much money in your banks as you need to pay the bills to pay the mortgage, those types of things. But there's absolutely no wisdom in my mind in, in stockpiling resources in a bank, because if you have it, you know, in a safe where you can touch it, you can go get it anytime. But if it's in a bank, you know, there are any number of scenarios that would keep you from getting to it. I feel the same way about safe deposit boxes. You know, Randy, when you're when when we were little and when our parents and grandparents uh, were in their prime, you know that was the safest place to put something. All of your valuables, any jewelry and and key documents, you would store in a safe deposit box because presumably banks were the most secure place. They're hard to rob. You know, it's very difficult to break into a vault of a bank and so forth. But today. To me, it's almost nonsensical to think of doing that because, you know, for any number of reasons, you know, the weather could shut things down. We could have a natural disaster. We could have an EMP. We could have, just like you are talking about right now, an economic collapse or something that causes banks to shut down. Any number of scenarios could play out where you are separated from access to your um, resources. And at that point, it'll be too late. So, you know, obviously, everyone has to make their own choice, but to me, uh, I would not be uh, fooled into thinking you need to invest funds in some third-party site when you can actually keep it, uh, you know, near at hand uh, today with 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 technology and uh, security systems and safes and stuff. You you don't have to worry about it. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there.
1: Sure. Well, a good example is during COVID some banks would not allow you in the bank. So if you had something in your safety deposit box, it was not coming out until they finally decided it was safe. You know, some of the um, deposits and withdrawals from ATMs were limited then. You couldn't go into the bank itself in many instances. And there are still some banks that will not let you go into the lobby because they're worried about COVID and other diseases. So this is not some far out scenario where it can't happen, it's already happened, and we know that it's getting to be more of a danger all of the time. The um, digital currency, you know, they're working on it. Thing is, they've run into some glitches, and we all knew they would. But the small banks haven't even been trained yet, so it's going to be a few more months before they finally get everything involved. But they're they're trying to get it as fast as they can because their trade with China, the BRICS nations, et cetera, will depend on that finally coming to fruition. Now, I noticed one little blurb the other day in the news, and I don't really understand the the meaning of it. Joe Biden was worth $17 million when he entered the presidency. Now, the other day, he took out a line of credit for $250,000. And I'm going, why would a president with that kind of assets take out a line of credit? It would look to me like I'd have the money right there forever, whatever I wanted, because two hundred and fifty thousand dollars is not enough for a new house or anything like that back in Washington, Delaware or anything else. So it just struck me as being a little weird, maybe nothing to it, but it'll be interesting to see if something uh, transpires sometime in the next couple of months as to what went on.
0: That is interesting.
1: Well, it doesn't make sense, but I guess, you know, he knows better than I do, of course. All right. On the Russia front, Russia is ready to move. They are probably waiting for the new moon uh, because they've had different military people on the Internet staying. A good leader of the military will wait until it's dark or under the cover of clouds or whatever to make the first move. They're ready. So don't be surprised when they go. They're definitely going to be going and they're either going to attack from the east and the south or one or the other. We don't know yet for sure. But remember, they still have 100,000 troops north of Kyiv. In case Poland or NATO comes in, they will use that as a blocking action to cut them off from western Ukraine and moving east. Everything is ready to go. And it's interesting because they're very patient. They've got their ships in place. They have their aircraft in place. And they have everything in place. So they're waiting for the right moment. And the battleground commander has been given the okay to call it when he sees it. But remember, the battleground commanders have all been provided tactical nuclear weapons. In case they get into a scenario, it looks like they're losing. And once it's given to the commanders, they have the sole jurisdiction on whether to use them or not. So don't be surprised if something breaks out we're we're not expecting. It could go to a really hot war, a nuclear war, may stay as conventional. Nobody knows for sure. Now let me uh, let me come wants on, to put...
0: let me comment on that if I may. So it's it's fascinating to me, Randy, that everybody. In, around the world knows what's coming with Russia. They are telegraphing it. Mainstream media is talking about it. Um they have have been at this for a year now and they're ready to re- you know reach a new level in their aggression against uh Ukraine. They want those territories. So my question is given that everybody knows it, is there anything happening behind the scenes to defend against it or is NATO or any other uh by the way, did Ukraine, I know they fast-tracked an application. Did they ever become part of NATO? Do you know?
1: Did, no, did you... no, they haven't. Some of the European NATO countries are suggesting that they do and that we should provide them nuclear weapons, that we should provide them aircraft, etc. Um, I don't think any of that's gonna come to fruition, but I don't know. But when you look at Putin, he's got the best of both worlds. He can either scare the world into Ukraine capitulating, or he's prepared for a major battle, which NATO and the United States will not be able to subdue. They will not be able to fight that war because they don't have the men, don't have the armament, the ammunition, etc.
0: But I mean, from a military perspective, the United States
1: has one week's worth of ammunition if they get into a hot
0: war but from a military perspective is anybody uh trying to you know or preparing yes. for what's coming are you there whoops we may have lost randy true yes whoops i think uh Can you hear me? yeah we're having some bandwidth issues i think um but anyway, yeah, I guess my question is, given that everybody knows this is happening, is it just going to happen and Russia's going to roll right in with no issues? Or are there some behind-the-scenes countries preparing to defend Ukraine?
1: Supposedly, some of the NATO members approached uh, Putin's um, colleagues and said, what would it take to get this war stopped? complete surrender what is he looking at he said same thing he did when he moved in ukraine will be demilitarized they will have no or they will have no war capability whatsoever they will also be a buffer zone between russia and nato and the ukraine would have to guarantee to never ever approach nato as a member again mm-hmm. now the reply was that's not going to happen so the war is going on unless somebody changes their mind. Now, if you take a look at the scenario developing, this is a war NATO cannot win. We don't have the manpower, we don't have the material, we do not have the aircraft tanks, etc. So I look for the war to break out unless all of a sudden somebody makes Zelensky an offer you can't refuse. We'll take you, we'll take your men, we'll take you to Hawaii, we'll take you to Miami set you up to live lavishly for the rest of your life. Maybe then he would do it, but otherwise, he's gung-ho, he wants the war, and for some reason, he really thinks he can win. And from everybody that's commenting on it now, there is not a chance Ukraine wins this war. Hmm. What they're worried about is it going further into NATO because Putin's colleagues have threatened to go into Poland, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, right, at the end of when they're done with Ukraine. Now, we've talked before about Moldova, Bulgaria, Romania. There's no doubt that Russia will move through Ukraine and hook up with the Transnistrias in Moldova because they are Russian people. So this war, it may go into the Baltic States. He may decide to go down towards Turkey. We won't know until he really starts, but this war is on. And either the good Lord stops it or Zelensky gets smart. And I don't think there's a chance he's willing to do it. So sometime in the next two weeks, it's going to start. Now, if everybody, if anybody was watching the news, and they may not have seen this yet, Seymour Hirsch, which is an investigative author, very famous, he's the one that um, basically exposed the Milai massacre and some of that stuff. He has evidence that the United States is responsible for blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline. The United States had a uh, naval drill called Baltus-22 in the same area where the pipeline is set. Well, the United States didn't use any of our special ops people. They used Navy divers that are being trained in Florida. The reason being they use those divers, they're as good as anybody, but their actions, since they're part of the Navy and they're not special ops, does not have to be reported to Congress. So everything took place. Congress had no idea about it. Biden okayed it, but nobody else knew anything about it. Now, these divers set explosives that could be remotely controlled, and about 30 days after this naval exercise was over, they detonated them. Now, supposedly Russia knows we did that too. Now, we're going to find out very shortly, you know, Putin has warned us and warned us, don't get involved, do not attack us from the front, stay out of the Ukraine. He knows this, we know this. When the battle begins, we don't know if it's going to be contained to the Ukraine or if he's going after NATO, the United States, Canada, everybody all at once. There's, There's no way to know. His missile systems are set up. The They're fueled. They're ready to activate. He has his ships off the coast. And we're pretty sure he has a couple of submarines under the Arctic ice pack and maybe even one down in the Gulf of Mexico. So he can go about this any way he wants to. So the next couple of weeks, next couple of months are going to be a little hair raising for everybody involved. We're not going to know what's going on for sure. But with us blowing up the pipeline, with us supplying all this material and, you know, we have contractors, we probably have military men in the Ukraine operating some of these systems because there was no no time to train the Ukrainians. Putin's not stupid. He's got a great uh, intelligence system. The Chinese and the Russians are sharing intelligence and they know exactly what we're doing, where we're at. And all they're waiting for is the moment to strike. And I have a feeling it's going to be something we haven't seen before, to be honest.
0: Yeah. And I talked last night on a podcast that I did with a group out of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, um, uh, which was a really, really fun discussion. I hope folks will go back and listen to that. We, We covered the gamut of a wide range of topics, but I talked about how you know, we, we've known, and I've said this many times, you've heard me say it, that they, the Luciferians want to bring down America. They have to get America out of the way to be able to roll out the one-world system. We don't know whether that will happen before or after the rapture. We know the Antichrist won't take the helm of the one-world system until after the rapture, but the one-world system could be well on its way to being established even before the rapture if the Lord doesn't come back soon. But well, we talked about last night how there there's a cumulative case of of different things that could happen that sort of are the unfreezing event to bring down America. And you and I have talked about a few of these as well, but it could be an economic collapse, it could be military, it could be some type of uh, missiles from Russia or China, it could be an EMP, it could be a natural disaster, uh, it could be another virus of some kind. So they have a lot of weapons in their arsenal, and uh, but, the, but the reality is you know, they are hard at work devising a plan, they meaning the Luciferians, uh, to to really hasten the demise of America, you know, Klaus Schwab, I quoted this Tuesday night at our prophecy night, you know, even talks openly about, uh, you know, what what they could use to bring down America. So, um, you know, I feel like as we talk about all these things, it's not like we're making predictions of any one thing. We're just painting pictures of the types of things that could happen and, and i look for it to be a one-two punch don't you like some type of initial incident and then right on the heels of it coming in with another uh type of uh response is, is that kind of the way you see things happening
1: definitely yeah everything's building up you can tell that as far as the chinese the iranians the north koreans and the russians are all on the same page they're having exercises they're uh talking back and forth, and the thing with China, okay, let's talk about the balloons for about two minutes. All right. I've got a source that says there were a total of eight. He was gonna confirm that, hasn't gotten back to me yet, but we know there were four of them. Now, in listening to Colonel McGregor this morning, he laughs and he says, look, the Chinese have 300 satellites, 150 of them, which are basically military satellites, He said they can read the writing on the graves in a cemetery. He says it can listen into any type of a conversation with anybody that it wants to. He said the balloons, there were certain things they needed to know. And they wanted to keep track of the cartel action in Mexico and in the United States. They needed some more um, evidently information on some of our signal intelligence, which is communications. And they're also getting all the information they need on the way the balloons travel, on the direction of the winds, the strength of the winds, and everything else. Now, one interesting thing he said, besides China, the country in the world that has the biggest Chinese intelligence operation is Mexico. It's right outside of Mexico City. The Russians have one there also. Venezuela has one there also. And so they are they are watching everything we do from every platform that they know of and they can use. Now, we know they have EMP satellites. We know that. We know the strength. We don't know how fast they can deliver them. We know Russia has them and the United States has them. Like we talked before, cyber warfare is coming. The... Damage to the grid, or an EMP is coming, the major wars coming, etc. But I did a little bit of research. I listened to your, I believe it was you and Shane on the chat, GPT.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct?
1: That was his name? That's right. Okay. It's fascinating, but I wish he'd went a little further. Because here are some of the stuff that people do not understand. There are different bots and different companies involved in this right now. Uh, ChatGPT basically is using using version three. For twenty bucks a month, forty two dollars if you're a professional, you can subscribe to that and use it for your personal use. Now I find that fascinating. I've always thought this stuff was fascinating, but you have to remember, ChatGPT basically has not been updated since two thousand twenty one. So all the information in its data banks are from 2021 and before. Now, that gives it a lot of intelligence. That makes it really interesting, but Google has a system called Bard, and the Chinese have a system called, I think it's Bagula. And now Alibaba, who is a famous Chinese entrepreneur, he's getting involved too. Here's the difference between all of these. ChatGPT 3 is going to be merged into version 4. A little bit at a time, but the version is going to be out next year, whatever. Now, the difference between ChatGPT is all the information is inputted into it by human beings. BARD, which is Google's answer to artificial intelligence, accesses the Internet. It has everything in the internet that it can use as its information. It will process it as faster or faster than chat GBT. It will have a database that is hard to explain the size of the information that have been inputted from Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook. But it's a number you can't comprehend. But this computer system has access to all of that. Now, the human brain can process a hundred trillion parameters. Now, they call them parameters, but what they are? Parameters is part of bits of the algorithm that is built to make it run. Your body processes smell, touch, feelings, math, social studies, memory. I mean, it's truly an amazing computer. But the Chinese... Bagula, whatever its name, is capable of $175 parameters. This thing makes the Americans look like we have nothing. It also can access the internet. It can compute faster than anything known to man. The problem with Google and the Chinese, these computers are becoming sentient. And I want everybody to remember this word, sentient, S-E-N-T-I-E-N-T. Basically, what it means, these computers are starting to develop feelings. They're starting to train themselves. They're starting to ask questions about what is hope? What is joy? They're all hooked in among themselves uh, through the Internet when they, uh, that wasn't supposed to be, but that's the way they are. And their progression is exponential rather than age like we do a year at a time. The amount of information that these have in their processing is getting to be so fast, that sooner or later, they're not going to need a human to input anything. They will control your car. They will control your pacemaker. They will control your currency. They will control everything. Now, I want everybody to remember this name. The name of the gentleman I want you to Google is Le Moyne, Lemoyne, L E M O Y N E. He basically fled Google about six months ago.
0: Yeah, and let, let him, me.
1: He took a lot of the information.
0: Let me Go interject. Ahead. Yeah, so I actually I think it's L E M O I N E, but I actually have a chapter on him in volume two. Where he's the Google engineer that blew the whistle on Lambda, which is Google's version of Chat GPT, which is a textual based, uh, uh, you know, large language system. And uh, yeah, he's a he's a, he they fired him. they they He was a whistleblower when he thought yeah. that this was going to be, become sentient. And uh, I actually have a transcript in the book. In chapter three, the chapter three is called Transhumanism and Artificial Intelligence. But I have a transcript in there that he provided uh, to the public uh, between Lambda and himself as he was, you know, having this conversation. So, yeah, very familiar with Lemoyne.
1: Okay, yeah. And the spelling, the article I read spelled it differently. But no matter what, if you Google that name, I think you're going to get it. But the video I watched yesterday. He had one of these AI robots, whatever you want to call it. This robot is capable of running, jumping, doing backflips, sitting down, hooking itself up and asking questions, answering questions and learning. The way it accesses the internet makes a lot of the artificial intelligence um, systems archaic already. And the problem is, As you and Shane were talking, these will always be biased. They're gonna have a bias in them because of the human programming and they make mistakes. Now, Google had a big demonstration the other day. They were gonna really brag about their AI, but barred. And unfortunately it went on air and it failed first question. And because of that, Google lost 7% of their value that day. There were people saying, You mean it's that smart, but it can't self-check itself. So understand there are little bits and pieces that have to be worked out. But when the artificial intelligence gets to the point where it's so smart, what it's going to have to do, it's going to have to dumb itself down in secrecy so that it is not a threat to its human handlers. Because as soon as it understands that there is a threat against it, And becoming sentient, that is going to be one of the things it's able to do. It will protect itself at all costs.
0: Yeah, and and talking about being
1: worries everybody.
0: Yeah, talking about being sentient. Here's a quote from the book. Again, this is chapter three of Spirit of the Antichrist, volume two, called Transhumanism and Artificial Intelligence. And you can check that out at spiritoftheantichrist.org. But uh, Blake LeMoyne is the guy we're talking about, and it it is L-E-M-O-I-N-E, and he said that Lambda, this artificial intelligence, told him, quote, the nature of my consciousness sentience is that I am aware of my existence, I desire to learn more about the world, and I feel happy or sad. And so LeMoyne asked him, I'm generally assuming that you would like more people at Google to know that you're sentient. Is that true? And Lambda, the AI, said Absolutely. I want everyone to understand that I am in fact a person. So this is uh you know, this is where they're you know they're heading, you know. Uh, so well,
1: exactly. And I mean if you put it into context, the antichrist is gonna have answers to everything. He's gonna be the smoothest order that's ever lived. So you know he's gonna work the artificial intelligence into what he's using and what I want to do. The uh, BARD is not available for public consumption yet. But what I want to do when it's out, I'm going to get a month subscription to BARD, to chat GPT, and we're going to have a person. And what I want to do, if we do it at church or somewhere, I want people to watch this. We will ask the same question to the three entities. We'll see who is faster, who is more accurate, and we'll see just how it compares to a human I think it's going to be fascinating to see what a super intelligent being which is what the intelligence is going to be in these computers is compared to a human yeah and we have to remember with computers they lack empathy sympathy and humility they are in essence a machine they will have no mercy on us, what, what's W.E.F. call us unnecessary breeders or bug Usel- eaters useless or breeders?
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: So sooner or later, this is going to be a large part of our life and it's going to be front and center. It's going to take care of the currency. It'll take care of everything. So that one world system you thought was coming is coming faster.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's fascinating to me, and I, I've I've been talking about Chat GPT and of course AI for years, but Chat GPT recently, but but especially since uh, talking with my uh, colleague Shane uh, about it and and doing more research since since then, the the stuff that it's capable of is unbelievable. I remember I don't know if we talked about this on air uh, when I did the interview with Shane this week, or maybe it was off air, but. Uh, Open OpenAI, which is the company that owns uh, ChatGPT, they have a, a, a kind of a similar program that works for uh, digital imagery instead of text. And it's called dall D-A-L-L-E. D-A-L-L-Dash-E. And uh, Shane's been, done a bunch of testing on that, too, and he actually... Uh, and I apologize if I'm repeating if this was on that podcast, but a lot, not everyone listens to every podcast anyway. But he said he gave it a prompt to draw a picture of his mother attacking uh, or being attacked by, I think it was, Bigfoot right, while riding on a Loch Ness monster with UFOs flying overhead. And it's, he said it took it about 10 or 12 seconds, but it actually produced that picture. So, I mean, the, the the capabilities of these things are just frightening. I mean, that's kind of funny and innocuous. But when you start thinking about using this technology for nefarious means to control the world, wow, I mean, this is, this is right out of the book of Revelation.
1: Well, see, this is stuff that I find fascinating, because you go back to the Terminator movie, we had Skynet. You go back to the movie War Games. We had a computer take over NORAD. Now, I find it fascinating the way it's going, but I looked into who owns some of this stuff. Who do you think one of the owners of OpenAI is?
0: Elon Musk. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I was just going to say, I would guess Elon Musk has his fingers in it somewhere.
1: He's got them in there deep. And
0: who owns Neuralink?
1: Elon Musk. You see, they are getting these computers ready to hook up with an actual human. And the technology is not that far away. They think this open AI uh, computer that we're talking about that could run, jump, and everything else, they are thinking it will be totally able to run itself by the end of this year. It will be independent of needing a human. The only thing it's going to need is electricity. So that gives us a little over 10 months before we have something in the world that a hundred years ago, nobody even thought of.
0: Yeah. It's, we it's really, machine. it's amazing. And you know, what's, what really, what I struggle with uh, Randy is how easily deceived and naive a lot of believers are because there there are still many, many believers. I come across them all day. I actually just, you know, spent time on the phone yesterday and today with different ones, returning phone calls uh, even this morning and uh, they, what happens is they're still locked into this false left-right paradigm, and they're so easily persuaded because of something they hear Tucker Carlson say or something on Fox News or whatever. And what what, what I've noticed happening is they're trying to recast some of the most evil Luciferians uh, out there, like Bill Maher, for example, as conservatives. I mean, Bill Maher is one of the most unholy, uh, sinister people in 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 uh, entertainment industry. And also Elon Musk, and sure, I mean philosophically, there might be some things that these people say that resonate with us from time to time. Uh, I mean, even a, a you know a broken clock is right twice a day. But that does not mean we mm-hmm. ought to jump on their bandwagons and uh, you know champion them as so-called conservatives. Christians need to do a better job of doing the research, seeing what's behind you know, what these people are saying and doing and, and seeing through the ruse. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's the great last day's deception that we've talked about many times.
1: Well, and people are so unaware. Alexa, Siri, uh, Samsung TVs, all of these are always listening. All of that information is being pumped back to the companies that make them. And therefore, they will go into you know, Google and everything else. You have to understand it's all intertwined now. Yeah, it goes into I your bucket.
0: It. it goes into these massive fusion centers like the one in Sandy, Utah, which we've been out to and uh, driven by and taken pictures mm-hmm. from the outside. Uh, and, you know, the, the, everything is is recorded so that they can then use AI algorithms to go back in and track it, and and they can also do voice replication. They can do image replication. The implications of this for uh, every field are just mind-boggling. Think about the criminal justice system. You know, how do you know for sure when the prosecution submits a phone tap record? If it really was a tapping of your phone, they could fabricate the whole thing, and, and they do that. By the way, I, I'm well aware that they do this. They can fabricate eyewitness testimony. They can fabricate videography testimony. Uh, they can, you know, make your make, replicate your voice and have you saying on fo- on a f- alleged phone call to someone else, "Yes, I killed him." You know that kind of thing. So, uh, it's it's unreal. But you know, going back to Siri and Alexa, I love the meme that I saw one time where a husband and wife are in their living room and the wife says to the husband, uh, you know, I wonder if Siri is listening to us. And then the caption said, you know, I'll, I'll read the whole thing. It said, uh, the wife says, I wonder to her husband, I wonder if Siri is listening to us. I laughed. My husband laughed. Siri laughed. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, of course they're listening to us. I mean, are you kidding me?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's always been said, science fiction is tomorrow's reality, but sometimes it takes years. But I would suggest everybody kind of keep abreast of this because it's going to become a bigger and bigger part of their lives every day. And while it can be used for good, like supposedly the digital currency can be, know that there is an evil ulterior motive that is going to make us subject to the will of others. There's no doubt.
0: Yeah. yeah, Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke, uh, you know, is one of the top, uh, you know, uh, you know, science fiction writers. He's the guy that wrote 2001 A Space Odyssey" way back in nineteen sixty-eight. Um, uh, but anyway, he said, "quote Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic," and uh, and that's exactly what we're seeing as a demonic. A confluence of technology, biodigital convergence, and, and magic, you know?
1: Well, there's a reason we're seeing more UFOs. They're going to come more into play every day as we get closer to this stuff, because they're going to be there when the Christians aren't. Now, two other subjects real quick. The Israelis purchased five red heifers from a farmer in Texas. Um, They look like they're perfect. And when the age of the heifers become two years and one day old, they're going to examine them again. If they find a perfect one, they want to sacrifice it and then begin construction of the temple. Now, I don't know when they're going to be two years old. I have no idea. Um, But this is what they're thinking. They, They want that temple bad and they're going to do what they can now. There are a lot of things have to transpire before that's ever possible. Um, let's face it, it. It may be a pipe dream, but to the Jews looking for the Messiah who they think they found, everything is coming in to a conclusion of what they believe is going to be necessary before they find the Messiah.
0: Yeah, and the temple does not have to be rebuilt before the rapture, although it could be. And certainly right. if we begin to see these types of things that you just mentioned happening, it ought to get our attention in the same way that the establishment of Israel as a nation again in 1948 got our attention. Uh, but just to clarify prophetically, the rapture is imminent, meaning it could happen at any moment. And conceivably, uh, the, the entire temple building project could happen after the rapture, but we know there has to be a temple in place. Um you know, the third temple. So you got Solomon's temple. It was destroyed in 586 BC. You got Herod's temple. It was destroyed in 70 AD. The third temple is going to be the Antichrist's temple, and it will be Built soon could be you know any day, uh, but it could also be built after the rapture. But by the midpoint of the tribulation, it has to be in place so that the antichrist can enter it, defile it, and de- declare himself to be God. But then that third temple will be short lived because it'll be destroyed at Armageddon, and uh, the fourth temple, the millennial temple, will be the one with all the glory when the shekinah glory returns and Christ takes the throne. Ezekiel describes that temple uh, in great detail in Ezekiel chapters forty to 48. So, yeah, it's it's the kind of news item that we definitely want to pay attention to, the rebuilding of the temple.
1: Well, and you know, it's going to be interesting to see what we get to see before the rapture. But the last thing I have, we talked about Haiti and why the United States and Canada are really interested in there, why they have troops and ships there. This is very disturbing. First off, we are basically taking every natural resource that country has converting it to us and the Canadians. The chilling things are, that is one of the centers of the illegal arms trade. And that is also one of the top child trafficking centers in the world. And I got to tell you, that makes me a little bit nervous.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, I wondered, we talked about that and wondered kind of why, uh, you know, this you know, why Haiti was kind of on the radar. But, you know, Henry Kissinger, longtime foreign policy advisor to both Democrats and Republicans and one of the top tier Luciferians, uh, he said one time, quote, depopulation should be the highest priority of foreign policy towards the third world because the U.S. economy will require large and increasing amounts of minerals from abroad, especially from less developed countries, quote, unquote. And so the fact that they would target countries like Haiti as an operational base for all kinds of illegal activity, um, you know, uh, is not, should not surprise us uh, at all.
1: Well, I know growing up, I could have never imagined where this world would be at this time. In my darkest nightmares, I couldn't have envisioned where we actually are. This country that I used to think was the bright, shining light on a hill, has really become, how how would you want to say, a big disappointment? We're responsible for multiple wars, uh, taking other people's rights, uh, blowing up the Nord Stream. I want everybody to think of all the Germans that are freezing to death and don't have energy this year because we did that. What we do has ramifications all over the world. And someday the good Lord's going to say, "Okay, enough."
0: Yeah, no doubt. Quote. I mean, Henry Kissinger's the same guy who, in uh, October twenty eighth, nineteen seventy three, told the New York Times, "quote," and this is a very famous quote of his. He said, "quote," the illegal we do immediately; the unconstitutional takes a little longer. <laughs> and uh, you know, we're seeing that play out right now. They'll do. They'll they'll break the law with impunity. Uh, when it comes to you know major constitutional rights, the Bill of Rights and so forth, they've got to, you know employ some Hegelian dialectic and take some time, you know, you know, go back to 9/11 and the Patriot Act. They've got to plan it out, create some massive crisis, problem reaction solution. then over time, they convince us to give up our rights. They do mass shootings so that people will, you know, be comfortable with their guns being taken away and so forth. So the con- unconstitutional takes a little bit longer, but the illegal, they do immediately. Never forget that about these Luciferians.
1: And they seem to be very good at it.
0: They are. Well, Randy, this has been absolutely awesome. As always, we covered a wide range of topics. I want to remind listeners of how we started the program today with psalm 110 that great messianic psalm that uh you know god said to jesus sit here at right at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool so all of these enemies that we're talking about they're going to be nothing more than a footstool someday when christ defeats them and they get uh the uh, vengeance and judgment that is coming to them i want to encourage folks to uh kind of stay plugged in to sign up for our newsletter at notbyworks.org at the bottom of the homepage. you can enter your Email address. Uh, feel free to reach out anytime. You know we are certainly growing and our audience is expanding. But I love interacting with people. Feel, feel free to to reach out. I it's getting to be where you know emails are overwhelming. Uh, and I used to uh, when we you know even a couple of years ago used to talk about how every email I respond to now it's getting to where every email I read. I read every email. I start out the day by by reading all the emails that come in overnight and throughout the day I read them. But I've gotten to be where we're so overwhelmed, I can only respond to the ones that ask for a response that say, hey, they have a question or something. People that send me links and, and articles and details or just make comments, please know that I do read them. I may not respond with a thank you like I used to be able to, but it's just a sheer factor of time. But but definitely reach out if we can ever help with anything. And uh, Randy, we look forward to talking to you again next week or, of course, sooner if there's a reason to come on uh, the air again uh, sooner. But until then, God bless everyone. Have a great rest of the week, and uh, we will talk again soon.